How many of you are ready for a white Christmas this year? Before you think in terms of snow, I want to redefine white Christmas. White Christmas is whenever you place your faith in Christ. He makes everything new. White as snow. It says in Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Amen. If you're visiting with us today, we want to welcome you. As you can tell, the sanctuary is decorated in Christmas theme and white. And we've, we've had a lot of fun this week. We had a whole group of people on Wednesday night decorate everything in the church. So uh, just FYI, if you guys want Christmas pictures, we're going to be starting next Sunday taking pictures for Christmas. So uh, come dressed in your Christmas attire if you want a Christmas picture. David Nance, where is David? He's right here. He's going to be taking your picture. So look for him. Good looking guy up front with the red tie. So uh, we want to give you guys the opportunity during the whole Christmas season to get your family picture. And if you're hoping to send out that last minute postcard, I think you still have time. We just ordered airs yesterday from Shutterfly. So, and we took airs yesterday. So hopefully we'll give you guys a chance. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today. And we're starting our new Christmas series, White Christmas. And this series is all about new beginnings, how when you place your faith in Christ, he can make all things brand new. And I just want to thank Stephen and Elaine in the choir. You guys did such a good job. Did you guys enjoy that music? Amen. So when I think about Christmas, I think about different memories in my life. And as you guys recollect with me, I remember um, one of my first Christmases when I was five or six about the age of my daughter, Kira. And the greatest Christmas was that I got something I wanted so much. And I'm the youngest of six kids in my family, so my parents always went over and above for six kids. You can imagine buying for six kids. Imagine now buying for six kids and all the grandkids. I mean, it's, it's a lot of Christmas going around. But when I was little, I wanted the Fisher-Price barnyard set. I don't know if you guys ever remember, but... Is back in the 80s, but they had it where you could open the barnyard door and it would sound like a cow mooing. It would sound like a horse neighing. And I'm like, I thought that was the greatest Christmas gift ever. And at that age, you, know, you have fun just playing with the boxes, right? So Christmas was always fun at my household just because there were six of us. And you can imagine the wrapping paper flying in the air, boxes everywhere, and the great Christmas meal. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing different Christmas memories. So you want to come next Sunday and the next and the next because it's going to be some fun stories. So today we're going to talk about the Christmas time and what it's all about. And you guys notice each week we're lighting these candles. And some of you may not have grown up in church traditions that do that. But this is the, the start of Advent season. And Advent basically means arriving, it's the coming. And in the Old Testament times, they were looking forward to Christ's first coming. And since Christ has come, Advent for the Christian means you're looking for his coming again. So as we light these candles each week, it allows us to reflect on how the Old Testament people waited for Christ's first coming and allows us to look forward to his second coming. And I don't know about you guys, but his first coming was amazing and provided salvation for all who will call upon his name. His second coming, he's taken us home to be with him forever. 
so we shall forever be. Amen. When Leonardo da Vinci had finished painting his last, one of his last paintings, his immortal Last Supper, he asked a friend for evaluation. And his friend said he loved the painting, especially the cup in Jesus' hand. That was what he thought was the greatest part of the painting. And according to history, da Vinci went and erased, blotted out the cup, and he said nothing should distract from the Lord. Nothing should put her attention away from the Lord. And as I remembered that story, I thought about Christmas, and there's so many distractions, so many bells and whistles and the lights, and all these are fun and great. But how do we remember to keep our focus on Christmas, on the reason for the season, Jesus Christ? You know, in, in our culture today, it's hard to even say Merry Christmas, right? Because people say Happy Holidays. And I would encourage you to say Merry Christmas because Jesus is the reason for the season. So we're going to bring Merry Christmas back to Asheville, amen? So we're going to be in Luke 1, and this message I've entitled Merry Christmas, M-A-R-Y. And we're going to look at Christmas from the perspective of Mary. Now, we don't know her exact age. Many scholars think she was as young as 13, 14, or 15. Now, many of you have been around teenage girls, and can you imagine a teenage girl carrying the Messiah? Well, it's hard for us to understand in our culture, but in this culture, a lot of times women, once you hit adolescence and you grew into womanhood, you could be betrothed to be married as young as a teenager. And for our mind, mind, it's like, wow, you know, we get married much later in life, but they got married, especially as, as a young woman, you got married very young. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 1, and I want you guys just to put yourself in Mary's shoes. Imagine a teenage girl, you're getting ready to get married, and in this case, betrothal was the equivalent of marriage. In fact, if you something happened, you'd have to get an official divorce it was kind of like marriage, but they didn't live together until the, 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 the husband finished building the house and whatnot and went through the process of getting his bride. And often that would take up to a year. So they're, they're in the betrothal process. The, the marriage hasn't been completed yet. And while Mary is looking forward to being married to Joseph, how many of you girls wrote your last name? next? You remember when you're getting ready to get married, you put your husband's last name and started writing that? I remember girls doing that as, as early as like middle school and high school. Does girls still do that? You write who you want to marry their last name next to yours. How many of you did that, that confession? Okay, well, you know, she's going through this whole process of, uh, you know, some of you are like, I still do it. Well, hopefully if you're married, you do. But, uh, you know, this whole process, I'm getting married, I'm going to be Mrs. Joseph and what it's going to be like. And her whole world is turned right side up. It, it's very different. So let's jump into the text and let's... We're going to read it, and we're going to cover an extensive passage, and then I'm going to cover some of the highlights of what we can learn. Starting in verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, 
you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Then the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who is called barren. And I love verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. I'll say that with me. With God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word of the angel departed from her. Skip down to verse 46. This is Mary's song. This is after she visits Elizabeth. And John the, Elizabeth's pregnant with John the Baptist. And Elizabeth, who couldn't conceive, God gave her conception supernaturally. And now she's carrying John and she's about six months pregnant. And as soon as Mary walks into her household, uh, it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, with, with, with the greeting of Mary. And we see that Mary is carrying the Savior of the world. And look at Mary's response once she's encouraged by Elizabeth. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, from henceforth on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to his fathers and to Abraham and his seed forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Mary's story. As we look into your word now, help us to have insights into what Mary went through. Help us to understand that with God, all things are possible. Father, we ask and pray your blessing on your word that you would bless our time together. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. What can we learn from Mary's story? Well, the first truth from the text today is this. Christmas is all about the impossible becoming possible. Look back in your text in verse 37. It says, With God, nothing shall be impossible. Another way you could phrase this is, All things are possible with God. In the original language, this also can be translated another way. Let me read it to you. In the Phillips translation, no promise of God can fail to be fulfilled. Another translation, no word from God shall be void of power. So literally, it's hard to translate it, but literally it means that God's word is so powerful it will be fulfilled. So with God, when he speaks, his word comes to pass. So when I, when I see this Christmas story, I think about the impossible Becoming possible. 
And I don't know what you're going through right now, but many of you face sitting in the seat of the impossible. Like you don't know how God's going to come through. And at Christmas time, we are reminded that God likes to make the impossible possible. Did you realize that just a little over a hundred years ago, flying an airplane was considered science fiction? It was considered impossible. And we see that in 1878, Wilbur and Orville Wright, their father brought them home this little toy helicopter. And it was able to wind up and fly for a little bit. And then, of course, it crashed and broke. And for the Wright brothers, they saw that. And inside of them was birthed the dream that what would it be like for man to fly? What would it be like for humans to take flight? Now, we think nothing of it. And any, in any given moment, there's perhaps a million people in flight. I, I was researching 23,000 flights take off every day at, at American airports, at least. And in any given moment, about a million people in the sky. And you think about that, and you're like, wow. But over 100 years ago, just a little over, they considered impossible. But right before Christmas, December 17th, 1903, Orville Wright decided to take his airborne flight. And his first flight wasn't long, it was only a mere 12 seconds, but humanity had broken into flight. And now since that, we've improved on the process and people fly all the time. But before that, flight was considered only for the birds. And in fact, many of the Wright brothers were told, for the Wright brothers, leave flying to the birds. Humans aren't supposed to fly. But inside of them was birthed a dream that mankind can fly. So all of a sudden, the impossible becomes possible. And by the way, for Orville Wright and his brother, did you realize that their dad was a pastor? They were preacher's kids. So preacher's kids sometimes are dreamers, and they dreamed up, and now we're punching our flight ticket thanks to the Wright brothers. So God likes to erase our impossibilities. I picture faith like God's magic eraser. Whenever you have faith in something that God has placed in your heart, God takes his faith eraser and he erases the I am out of impossible, making the impossible possible. So Christmas is all about that. When you look at Mary's story, it reminds us that big things can happen to small, ordinary people. Did you realize that Mary was just an ordinary girl? We know that she was a teenager, perhaps 14, 15 years old. And Nazareth wasn't a big town. It was like small backwoods. So anybody from Leicester here? It was like being from Leicester, right? It was like being from Madison County. It it was like it wasn't a well-known metropolis. It was a small town. So you had a small town girl that didn't have a lot of name and claim and fame. But you know what? She had something special going on. And we're going to see this in the text. She was young. She was engaged. We see from the text that one of the clues of, we asked the question, why did God choose Mary? I mean, weren't there thousands of, of other young women that would, that would do? Well, God wanted to choose a special vessel. And for his son coming to earth, Mary had to be exceptional. He had to choose someone that was a pure vessel. We know from scripture that Mary was a virgin. The son of God had to come through a virgin. Just as Jesus was pure, Mary was pure. And we know that Mary wasn't perfect. Um, Some churches teach that Mary was such a high status, it was like close perfection. She wasn't perfect. She was human, but she was devoted to the Lord. And God chose her as a vessel. 
And one of the things that we can see about Mary that you see in this text at least two times is the word favor. Mary, you found favor with God. Mary, God has favored you. You are highly favored among women, highly blessed. What is favor? Well, favor is one of the cousins of grace. It's one of the gifts of grace. Favor is not something you earn or deserve. Favor flows out of your relationship with God. The closer one walks with God, the more favor you can experience. So favor is a grace gift. And one of the things about Mary that separated her from the other women in her day is she had favor, favor with God. And when you think about the virgin birth, um, our church, we believe in it. Some churches, I don't know why, but they deny it because it seems... How, how, how can a virgin conceive? But the virgin birth is a reality because God is in the business of doing miracles. Here is the dilemma. God had to come to rescue humanity. The problem with humanity is we're fallen from birth, right? So how is God going to enter into humanity with in, inside a fallen vessel? The answer is the virgin birth. The eternal Son of God took upon him human flesh. And we can't really understand the full mystery of how a virgin can see. We don't really know. The scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. So that the Son would be the Son of God. And uh, I often like to trip people up with this question. Is uh, uh, Who is the only person ever born that was older than their parents? That was Jesus Christ because he lived forever. <laughs> and when you think about that, you're like, wait a second. Yeah, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. When he made his debut that first Christmas morning, he was preexistent before he came to the stable. So when you think of baby Jesus, think of the eternal son of God taking on a human body. And why did he take on a human body, you ask? Because it is God we have offended and only God can make it right. If, God could, if, God, if it would have worked, God would have sent a prophet to die for us. God would have sent an angel. But since we've offended God, only God can die in our place. Only God can make it right. But God can't die, right? So God had to take upon him a human body so that he could be sacrificed for the sins of the world. But that gift is only received. We only have a white Christmas when we receive it. The thing is, it's available for everybody, but you have to call upon the name of the Lord. It's like the Christmas present that you never open. Until you open it, it doesn't become a reality to you. The gift is available for everybody. The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? saved but you have to call upon the lord the gift is there i love the first christmas slogan it says with god nothing shall be impossible so i want to ask you in your life what is your impossibility what is the one thing in your life that you think can't happen what if this christmas god gives you the faith the gift to erase the i am out of impossible making it possible when i look at mary's story I love how she responds. If you look back at the text, her response was, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be to me according to your word. So since God's word never fails, Mary says, let your word come to pass. So I want you to see Mary's response. We see her response was twofold. It was humility and faith. She was humble and she had faith. Those are two of the ingredients for seeing a miracle happen in your life. Responding with humility like God I bring nothing to the table and faith. God, you can do anything. If you want to see God do something amazing in your life, you must come to the table bringing nothing, humility, and having faith, believing that God can do everything. Amen.
So we see first Christmas. It's all about the impossible becoming what? Possible. Second from the text, we see Christmas brings heaven down to earth. Christmas brings heaven down to your, down to earth. One of the greatest uh, parables I've heard about Christmas, it really helps me understand it. It was told of this father. And a lot of modern minds can't really grasp the incarnation. And, and, and some people say, I just can't buy that for Christmas. You know, like how could God become a baby and then grow up to be a man and live a perfect life and die for the sins of the world? How can a modern mind get that? Well, the story is told of this father. And he was a good father. He just didn't buy into all the church stuff. And every Christmas Eve, his, his children would go to the midnight Christmas Eve celebration, bringing in the Christmas Day. And the father didn't want to disappoint his wife, but he said, Honey, you know, I, I just have to be real. I, I don't buy into the whole incarnation, God becoming man thing. I'm sorry, but I can't go to the Christmas Eve service. So he decided to stay home, and his wife and kids were really sad because they wanted Dad to come along. It is Christmas, after all. And of all the times of year, that's when people who don't go to church go to church is Christmas. But he stayed home, and he was reading his news, newspaper by the fireplace. And all of a sudden, he heard something just hit his window. And he got up, and he realized that it was snowing really hard. And all of a sudden, there, were, there was a, a flock of birds that were migrating and they got caught in the winter storm. And they had ran into his window seeking shelter. He had this big glass window. And all these birds were flopping around his yard. Feathers flying everywhere. So in the snow were feathers and birds uh, acting crazy. And he's like, I really got to help these birds because they're going to die in my yard. And you can imagine the kids coming home to open the presents and there's bird, dead birds all over the yard. So he, he his mind reminded that I have a barn in my backyard where I used to have a pony. So he went out and he tried to shoo the birds in the barn. But the birds looked at him like they were crazy, just flapping their wings, going all in the snow. And they were getting, their condition was getting worse. So he tried to make noises like a bird that they would follow him. And they, they just didn't listen, flapping feathers flying everywhere. So he got down on his knees and he started hopping like a bird. And they wouldn't follow him. And he just decided, well, I heard birds like, breadcrumbs so he got breadcrumbs the birds wouldn't follow the breadcrumbs and in this moment of desperation he had this thought if only if only i could come become like one of these birds i could understand them they could understand me i could speak their language they would speak my language and i could tell them how to get out of the snow how to avoid their death and how to get into the barn where they could be safe at home and as soon as he had that thought the church bells rang at midnight and he dropped down to his knees in the snow and realized why God had to become man. So that he could speak our language. So that he could tell us how to avoid destruction. How to avoid perishing so that we could be forever with God. Amen. So that, that parable helped me grasp why God had to become man. So if you look back in the text in verses 46 through 56... Um, there's few, there, there's a few things I want to point out. Few, four beautiful truths about Mary's song. Uh, has anybody ever written a song in here, by the way? I know Stephen and Elaine probably. Anybody else songwriters? All right, we've got a few songwriters. Well, there are four major themes in Mary's song. The first one is praise. Look at verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Whenever God comes down, our praises should go up. Amen. 
Whenever we praise God, great things happen. Um, when it says the word magnify, I want you to notice that to magnify something doesn't make the object bigger, but it makes your perception of the object bigger. So when Mary says, I want to magnify God, she's not saying I'm making God bigger. She's saying the way I view God has to be bigger. Because how many of us view God so small? We serve this big God that flung the stars into the universe, that created the world, all the galaxies, and yet we have such a small view of God. So Mary said, I want to magnify God. I want to make the way I see him line up to how he really is. And by the way, we'll never fully grasp how big he really is and how good he really is. So we see praise. We see role reversals here. That You see this text that all of a sudden the humble and the poor are exalted. And the haughty who don't have God, that have a lot of material things but reject God, they're humble. So I want to I declare to you today, today if, if you're struggling with something financially, you're struggling with sickness, you're struggling with depression, in God's timing, He reverses everything. It may not be till we meet Him on the other side, but God makes everything right eventually. And we see that sense of God's blessing here in this text. He says, verse 48, He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. You know, when you come to God humbly, He tends to have blessings waiting for you. Mary said, God, I have nothing to bring, but yet you've blessed me so much. We see God's salvation. You notice, in, back in verse 47, she says, I rejoice in God my Savior. You ever think, this is so amazing to think about, that Mary is given birth to the one who's going to eventually save her. You think about that. Mary's giving birth to the one who's going to eventually save her and provide salvation for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's a beautiful picture. And we also see God's promises. Skip down to verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to her father's to Abraham and to his seed forever. So here we have the picture that Mary knew the Old Testament. She knew the prophecies. And if you read through your Old Testament Bible, there are so many prophecies. I mean, prophecy upon prophecy that the likelihood of all those coming to pass with any man are impossible. Only Jesus could fulfill that because he was the fulfillment. Amen. So I want you to see that Christmas is all about heaven invading earth. Invading earth with light and love, with truth and grace, with dreams and destiny. How many of you are glad it's Christmas time again? Amen. Finally, Merry Christmas. I want to give you five short lessons that we can learn from Mary. As been mentioned, the first one is favor. Favor is a grace gift that grows out of your relationship with God. This Christmas season if you want to grow in favor, grow in your relationship with God. I'll give you a, a short, small story. Um, when I was a poor seminary student in Texas, not, not much has changed since then, but uh, when, I, when I was in Texas, and back then you, you're barely trying to survive and live, and um, gas money was important. Anybody ever been there? You're worried about how you're going to pay for gas money. So um, one time I took a trip to San Antonio from Fort, Dallas-Fort Worth area, and my mother, concerning as she is, she's like, Timothy, you got to watch your gas money because, you know, you only make so much and you go on these trips, you're going to run out of money. 
And I'm like, Mom, it'll be okay. God will provide, you know, the typical preacher answer. And uh, so I was at a coffee shop in San Antonio, and I was reading, studying. And all of a sudden, this lady came up to me. And she was an evangelist, and she saw me reading my Bible. And um, she started up a conversation, and next thing I knew, there was this other gentleman that came, and he was a worship leader. And we started having, like, church there in Starbucks. And I'm like, this is pretty interesting. So they called me out to their car, and... So I don't know these guys, never met them before. And the lady slipped a $100 bill in my hand and basically said, this is from the Lord. God bless you. And I'm like, wow, there's my gas money. Let me call mom up and tell her the Lord provides. But, you know, I look back at that fun little story and, you know, 100 may not seem like a lot, but for a struggling seminary student that paid the gas and bought me a meal that night and I rejoiced. So God's favor flows when you're following his lead. So if you want to experience favor, it's nothing you earn or deserve. But draw closer to God, the Bible says, and he'll draw near to you. Amen. Number two, don't be afraid to exchange your dreams for the dream of God. Mary's dream, we don't really know, but, you know, little sanctified speculation. Her dream is probably pretty small. I'm going to get married to Joseph. I'm going to have 2.4 kids, white picket fence, who knows what it was. But it probably was just normal. And God said, I want you to exchange your normal dream for the extraordinary dream of God. What you're getting ready to do is going to have spiritual and eternal ramifications upon humanity from now on. You're going to give birth to Jesus, and he's going to be the savior of the world. So this little child that you're holding will one day be the deliverer for all of humanity that will call upon his name. Now think about that, that small dream for God's big dream. So if God has shuffled things in your life, ask yourself the question, is God asking me to exchange my small dream for his huge dream? And by the way, that's kind of the mission of our church. For those of you who don't know our mission statement, is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. So all of us are ordinary. We're just like Mary. But you know what? When God invades your story and he invades your scene, he exchanges the ordinary and it becomes extraordinary. Amen. Number three, it's okay to have questions, but don't let them grow into doubts. If you see this story, you know, you look at Zechariah, he questioned the angel Gabriel, but his was more along doubt. And he couldn't speak until John the Baptist was born. Mary's questions wasn't doubt. It was just, how is this going to be? I don't really, I'm a virgin and you're saying I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm going to be pregnant. How is that? I don't understand the mechanics of it. So it's okay to have questions for God, but don't allow those questions to grow into doubts that kill your faith. Amen. Number four, the fourth lesson, practical lesson, is humility precedes honor. Humility precedes honor. The reason why many of us are not where God wants us to be is we're on the ride of pride. Whenever you get on the ride of pride, it comes to a crashing fall. As we've said before, whenever pride gets on the stage of your life, God walks off the stage of your life. And I can look back in my life. I don't have time to give many stories. But a lot of things in my life, God did to humble me. And I look back and I find myself like Joseph, like, God, why did I go through this and this and this? And I look back with hindsight, which is sometimes 2020, and God says, Timothy, I allowed you to go through those situations to humble you. Because the way I want to use you, I can't use you if you're prideful. So I don't know who that's speaking to today, but if you've got one ounce of pride, it leads to one pound of sorrow. 
And Mary was greatly used by God because she was humble. She said, behold, the, the, the maidservant of the Lord. So if you want to be greatly used by God, you have to daily push away pride because it's going to come knocking on your door every day. And finally, this is, I think this is very important both for men and women, but build up your support system. If you notice that Mary, she spent about three months with Elizabeth. And you've got to say, why did she spend that much time? Because Mary needed support. She knew that when she went back, which we're going to talk about next week, a preview for next week, she was going to have to tell Joseph, hey, I'm pregnant and it's not your baby. So she needed her faith, her encouragement, her support built up. And Elizabeth was that person in her life. So I ask you, who are those few people in your life that build you up? Who is your support system? If God calls you to do great things, you're going to need great support. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to do it on your own. Amen. In conclusion, I want to read something by Chuck Swindoll. I thought it was so apropos to this message. He says, some gifts you give this Christmas are beyond monetary value. Mend a quarrel, dismiss suspicion, tell someone I love you, give something away anonymously, forgive someone who has treated you wrong, turn away wrath with a soft answer, visit someone in a nursing home, apologize if you're wrong. Be especially kind to someone with whom you work. Give as God gave to you in Christ without obligation, announcement, reservation, or hypocrisy. So I want to encourage you guys today. Your take-home truth is this. With God, all things are possible. So I don't know who needs a Christmas miracle today. But all I can tell you is when you have God in your life, there's nothing that he wants to do that's off bound, that's impossible. God likes to take out the faith eraser and erase I am off impossible, making the impossible possible. So preview for next week, I want to encourage you to bring your friend next week. We're going to talk about Joseph's dilemma. Now, can you imagine, guys, that your bride-to-be says, I'm pregnant and it's not your baby. An angel told me. I mean, most of you would say, yeah, right. I don't know about you, but I would be, yeah, right. And by the way, we've been pregnant four times, and we've never had an angel visit us yet. So, uh, you know, one of those things. So next week, I want to encourage you, it's going to be a, a very fun, we're going to talk about the drama of Christmas. So let us pray together. Father, we thank you for Christmas time. We thank you for Mary's story, God, how we can learn that favor is a gift a gift of a relationship with God. And Father, I pray that we would grow in favor. Lord, help us realize that our dreams are small, but your dreams are large. Help us understand it's okay to have questions, but we have to take our questions to you. God, for those of us who walk in pride, even one ounce, forgive us and help us, God, to realize that the way up is first the way down. We must walk in humility if we want to embrace what God has for us. Right now, just with everyone in a spirit of prayer, let your pew be your place with God, your seat be your sanctuary. Would there be anyone here that would say, Timothy, I need God to do something in my life, in my family. There's a situation that seems impossible, but I know that God can take out the faith eraser and erase the I am off the impossible, making it possible. That's you. Raise your hand. I want to see your hands. Let's see those. Thank you. Well, Father, you see the hands. I pray for a Christmas miracle for these people. 
that, God, you would grant us the faith and the favor, God, that we don't deserve to experience a breakthrough in these areas. And the final thought and prayer as we continue to pray, if there be here one today that has never opened the gift of Christmas, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, every service would give you the opportunity, but we want to do so again. Just say something like this, Jesus, I open my heart to you. I've realized I've done it on my own far too long. Jesus, I know you, you asked for my whole life and I'm not holding back. So Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my sins, Jesus. I turn from them. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time, if you'd please stand. We're going to have our closing hymn of invitation. Adam and I will be at the front. If you have anything you want us to pray for you about, we're here for you. And we just want you to know that God has great things for you. Let us sing together.